0: Well then, good morning. morning. I bring you greetings from Metro Manila, the Philippines, and from the Brethren of Foundation Baptist Church, the ministry that we are now involved in, our second church plant ministry. I want to introduce my wife to you. She'll be be showing the slides anyway, but her name is Imelda. Please stand up. There she is, my one and only wife. And that's not the Imelda who has 3,000 pairs of shoes in the Philippines, all right? (laughs) But uh, that's her name, or sometimes she's called me for her nickname. So, let me introduce myself to you. Well, it was my first time, that's right, Pastor was right, it was my first time to get to meet Pastor last uh, Friday. And uh, we've been hearing a lot about him, and of course the ministry we've been acquainted here. Uh, we've been here, I think the last time we were here was about 2014, 2015, somewhere there. I know I just prior to the pandemic. So we thought of, uh, for this trip, we were kind of stranded in Manila as well during the two years two and a half years of the pandemic. So since last year, we started going out again, uh, the country, and this time, thought of connecting with the churches that support us. So that's why we're here. And we're thankful for your warm reception and your continued partnership in our ministry. All right, that's the mission board I'm connected with. That's International Partnership Ministries. And my name is... Roberto Jose. M starts for stands for Mendez Livioco. So uh guess what they call me back home? They call me Bob. Okay, so <laughs> or Pastor Bob. That's it. So a lot easier. Let me tell you about our mission field. Of course it is the Philippines. We have seven thousand one hundred and seven islands. It is a constitutional republic. Our type of government is democratic, just like yours, and now has about a population of 110 million. What you see there is the world map up, up there, and uh, that's where the Philippines is, you know. Uh, sometimes I was in one church in the United States, and I told them I was from the Philippines, and after that presentation, he looked at me and said, You don't look like a Philistine to me, of course, because I am not. Okay, Philistines are nine, ten feet tall, so I'm just about half that size. So, but uh, so the Philippines is right there in the far east. Okay, so those of you who were engaged in World War II or have been have been involved in the military, perhaps have visited. That region of the world Serving as, you know, with the Navy Or the Air Force, the U.S. Air Force And everything So so that's where the Philippines is And uh, missiologists Those who study the work of missions Say, if you'll see the world map The Philippines Including much of That region, China And India, especially the huge population That's what they call The 1040 window Which means the population of the world is 8 billion right now, and 70% of that population is right there in that region. So that's a huge field to reach uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the lower map is, of course, the map of the Philippines. So we are based in Manila. That's the capital of the of the country. And about four, nor- four hours north of Manila is Baguio City, where we have a an outreach right now, and then... Further in the left side of that of the country, that Long Island over there. Let me see that Long Island right here on the on the western side. That's Palawan, and we have an outreach there, Puerto Princesa, and then another outreach down south, and that big island there at the bottom. That's Mindanao, particularly in Davao City. So, um, and then we're hoping to start another work further down south in uh, Mindanao which is in south Cotabato so we'll tell you more about that so the capital is Manila and here are some photos of the city We've all, we're in the middle of all that high rise and uh, <clears throat> so one uh, missionary came over to the Philippines and said well this looks like Chicago and surely it is a metropo- metrop- metropolis all the high rise etc and just to give you a clearer glimpse let's say you were there that's where the traffic is that's how congested Manila is. I am told that the New York City has eight point five million people. Metro Manila has sixteen million people. So the Philippines has seven thousand one hundred seven islands, two thousand five hundred of which are inhabited. Sometimes during the rush hour, you'd see the photos there. Um, the main highway virtually becomes it becomes a virtual parking lot. So, so I hope you come and visit us. That's not very motivating anyway, but. Uh, <laughs> All right, so uh, many of our nationals, before the gospel was brought into our shores, were animists, and I'm meaning to say they worshipped forest spirits, some of them are Muslims, and then uh, we were discovered by the Spaniards in 1521 by Ferdinand Magellan, you know, Christopher Columbus and all of that that historical stuff, and uh, of course we were named after King Philip of Spain. Um. The Spaniards used Roman Catholicism as a colonizing tool to dominate the nationals. We have here the photo of the Manila Cathedral, and the records show that uh, there are gun-slit windows somewhere in the roof of this uh, facility in order to dominate the nationals, even during their religious services. So uh, sometime, so there had been efforts from 1521 to 1898 to bring the gospel into our shores. And uh, for instance, in 1896, the British Foreign Bible Society uh, brought in the gospel of Mark in the Pangasinense dialect, but that was also barred from entry. Records, however, show that many of the copies of the scriptures were smuggled in during that time, Anybody caught reading the Bible was considered reading subversive material. Only the Roman Catholic clergy had the authority to interpret the Bible for the laymen in the pew. So in other words, the light of the Word of God was not available in the hands of the average person in the pew. So that kind of placed our country much in so much of mysticism and superstition and traditionalism and uh, various forms of pagan trappings, which, of course, cannot deliver the soul from sin and hell, rightfully so, for only the gospel of Jesus Christ can do that. So just to show you how much paganism there is, of course, 1898, two years later, was the Spanish-American War. The Spaniards fell and the Americans took over in the Battle of Manila Bay. And uh, <clears throat> your president then was President William McKinley. And interesting enough, he was also concerned with the work of missions. Maybe he was a Christian. Anyway, 1899, so they, they had during that time a committee was formed in order to divide the archipelago to the different mission works that were planning to come into the archipelago. And the year the agreement was implemented was in 1899, an agreement dividing the Philippines to different American mission works and agencies. So some of the Baptists were assigned to uh, some portions or provinces, some missionary alliances, the Methodists, the Presbyterians, but every Manila was open to all mission agencies. Fast forward today, we have about 82% Filipinos still, deeply entrenched in Roman Catholicism. These are photos of the annual tradition of Filipinos who go literally whip themselves bloody sore so that they can atone for their own sins. So this has been a tourist spot, a site eventually, so people literally whip their backs until they become bloody sore. Some of them literally <laughs> nail themselves to the cross. Not for three days, but for no, no, at least for three minutes, okay? <laughs> Lest they die, okay? And then they bring them down and then heal their wounds. But this is an annual thing that some of them do. And they do it to atone for their own sin. Sadly, so uh, 10% of our country is still Muslim, the remaining 8% belong to the minority groups, religious groups, which include the cults, and 4 to 5% of whom are Protestants from over 100 denominations. So you can just imagine the demographics as to how many Bible-believing Christians and even fundamental Baptists are within that, uh, that population. Oops, let me get back to that photo. Um, there was a photo there, here it is. So there are the Muslims up there and the photo up there and then the photo below is a photo of the Iglesia Ni Cristo. That's a, one of home homegrown cults and they I think have uh, over a century already in existence. They have grown large enough so that politicians literally visit their places in order because they are known for their block voting. Uh, they do not believe Jesus Christ is God. They believe salvation is through entrance into their church. Uh, notice the uh, the steeples that they have there. Uh, we have some former members who came from this religious group, came to know Christ as Savior, and in fact, she's right here. Okay, so we have uh, the Arutas are here. They are members of our church back in Manila, but they have moved into the United States for some years back from uh, Kentucky, San Diego. Now they're in Sacramento. So we got reunited yesterday. So we're happy that they, they could come and join us in this service. And uh, Mrs. Uh, this is Arnold, uh, and then uh, Grace. Grace was the one who was formerly from the Iglesia de Cristo until she came to know Christ as Savior. And they two lovely children, okay? So they're not so much, very much children-like anymore, but... Uh, but uh, we're thankful that they can really join us, and we we're just happy to get reunited with them since yesterday. All right, so that's the Iglesia de Cristo, and correct me if I'm wrong, Grace, but uh, the steeples are there because they, I think they believe that when the rapture takes place that the whole, the, the whole building will have to be snatched out, so that's what I've been hearing, and uh, a lot of, of course, weird, bind bending teachings because they're not based on the Word of God. So, <clears throat> So Christ is only a man and, and such like. So they're on cable 24-7 so they can get a huge following and they, they offer, what, employment to all of their members and such like. So the whole package is there, but that as far as providing needs in this life, but having their sins cleansed uh, is not theirs because they don't have the gospel. So this is our burden to our, for our fellow Filipinos, similar to the Apostle Paul's for his burden to fellow Israelites. Paul said it in Romans chapter 10, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel, and of course for us, for the Philippines, is that they might be saved. For we bear them record that they have a zeal of God. So religious people, they have a zeal for God, but it is not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about the establish Their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God, which is the gospel. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. So we're thankful that you are praying with us and partnering with us. So that's the mission field. Here are the missionaries. So you could see that's my wife and myself. Bobby and I, that's, I mean rather, we were led to Christ, uh, respectively. I got saved in 1974. She got saved a year later in 1975, coming from Roman Catholic backgrounds. The lady who led me to Christ was the same lady who led her to the Lord. She was a volleyball coach of the varsity team where my sisters were playing. And I used to serve in the Roman Catholic Mass as an altar boy. It's either I would be the altar boy, the sacristan, or I would be playing the guitar in the choir, Or, uh, you know, I would be the one reading the scripture reading and the lectern saying, let's all stand, let's all kneel, all of that. So I was very active in the Roman Catholic Church, thinking that I could be saved through earning uh, my way to heaven. But nonetheless, 974, this lady who started talking to me about the gospel you know, I, I studied in a Jesuit university from high school through college, and I was bragging about all of that and all of my earthly credentials. So when she would open up the subject of the gospel, I was always ready for a debate. So I was a righteous guy serving in my my church and she was the average person in the in her Baptist church. She would open up the gospel and always convert into debate. And I remember the third time I think that she's, open, she's talked to me about the gospel. She asked me straight, Bobby, if you were to die today, do you know where you're going? And I immediately said yes. And she said, then where would that be? And I said, I'm going to heaven. One thing I learned looking back is when you and I share the gospel to unbelievers, even if they deny the gospel at that time, there's something in them that works in our favor, and that's a God-given conscience. My conscience was bothering me. I knew I was lying when I said I was saved. I was going to heaven. And then in another occasion, she showed me Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And, uh, of course, debate comes, and she, I told her, well, that's according to your interpretation. She asked me, then what is your interpretation? Interpretation, I've never even read that passage, much more the interpretation. But... Uh, I said, well, that's just your interpretation. I had no argument. But the Lord used that. I said, what's that verse again? So I, I remember that verse and went back home and looked for a Bible that I never read, found one, dusted it off, and looked for the passage, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And I'd argue, I could argue with that lady, but when I read that passage, I read it once, twice, thrice, slower this time, fourth time. I said, Wow. This is crystal clear. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. So looking inside, I guess the Holy Spirit was already working in my heart. But I said, this time I can't argue with the printed page because it's right there clearly written. So the Spirit of God was bringing me under conviction. But I still said I was getting to be convinced, but I still would not be converted. I remember a time when I said, okay, if I ever get converted, I want to make sure all my questions will have to be answered only to find out I never ran out of questions. If I were waiting for that day, then I would never get saved. But there were some things that were clear enough to me. I was a sinner, deserving condemnation. I could not save myself in spite of my my, uh, being active in my church and that the only who could save me was Christ and his work on Calvary. So August of 1974. She brought the subject once again to me, and this time, I think that was the 14th, 15th, maybe 16th time she brought up the subject, and I was really under conviction, and she paused, and I said, I asked, what must I do to be saved? Show me, and she... Showed me, we prayed to receive Christ as Savior that day or that afternoon. I remember and talk about being humbled. I had to literally strip myself of all self righteousness and trust in the perfect righteousness of Christ to the saving of my soul. And wow, my chest felt I was my chest, the burden of my chest was lifted up. And while I, I figured, you know, that was that was part of the result of my getting saved. But later on, I found out, you know, that my, my faith should not be resting on my emotions, but on the Word of God. I started picking up my New Testament, read from Matthew all the way to the book of Revelation, came across Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said, when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. I said, hmm, why, why is this here? It's been here all along. I didn't realize it's there. So I asked a Jesuit priest, and he gave me a whole bunch of explanation. I asked a pastor friend whom I was just recently introduced and he just said that's exactly what the text says oh came across Matthew 23 Jesus said call no man your father in earth for only one is your father I said it's there also so I asked the Jesuit priest I asked the pastor and the pastor said it's that's exactly what it means came across first Timothy 2 5 there's only one God and one be between God and man Wow, I've never—it's been there all along. But the, I never opened the scriptures. Now, as the Lord was really beginning to open my eyes, illuminating my heart with the truth of the gospel. So, anyway, so make long story short, I didn't think I was going to be a preacher, but that's how I grew—just opening up the scriptures, studying the Bible. I was not allowed to go to church because my parents are strong Roman Catholics, just like my, my Amy then. She was not yet my wife, obviously. But when she got saved, she went, persecu- went through persecution at home. And then uh, she was in another campus. She was in the University of the Philippines. I was in the Jesuit University, which is about, what, three, four kilometers away. And uh, sometimes I'd visit her. We would compare notes, etc., for a Bible study. We got involved in the campus ministry for a while. And as we were comparing notes, of course, we were getting to see much of the scriptures. And, of course, things kind of developed, okay, of course. And uh, so after college, I finished all my requirements for my degree. I figured I finally finished my bachelor's degree. I need another degree, an MD, a marriage degree. So I went to the other university and... uh, made my formal proposal, and said, let's pray about it. And after a while, I got my affirmative answer. And uh, so, December of 1982, we officially tied the knot. December 82. This is 2023. Last December was our 40th anniversary, so this December will be our 41st. And we praise the Lord for His grace. We've gone through so many battles from without and of course, some battles from within, but that all. But we're thankful that the Lord has brought us together. Some people have been asking me, "How can you do so much? you you must be a multitasker." That's what one pastor told me. You know what? My wife is the multitasker. She's been key, a figure, a key figure. I was, I would say, I was. I must admit, I'm handicapped without her. But we're thankful that God brought us together. God has blessed us with five children, um, and we now have two granddaughters. So in the photo. Okay, let me see if I can describe them all to you. So the one in the far farthest left, the one who's kind of pooping in the, in the, in the in the camera that 's my son he 's our favorite son because he 's our only son, okay, so we have five children, four daughters, and one son he 's right there in the middle he 's number three, so uh, i don 't know how it feels like to live. Between two daughters in both sides. But nonetheless, that's how it happened with him. Uh, and then uh, the one beside him on his left is his wife. Okay, and then the one uh, further up there is uh, my son-in-law. That's Sid, who is, so his wife is Twinkle. Sid is right there on my right. And then the one in somewhere in my right side beside Sid is my second daughter. That's Ruth. And there's our oldest granddaughter right there in the middle. Behind her, of course, beside on my left side is my wife. And beside her is my mother-in-law who has now gone home to be with the Lord. Thankfully, she trusted Christ as Savior about an hour before she passed away. I was right there beside her. And uh, she had, uh, <clears throat> what was her illness again? But she was battling with some kind of a cancer no, was it, uh, but anyway, she, she was, but we were there in her deathbed, and eventually, thankfully, you know, the funny thing the, by divine providence, when the hospital called us, that she was now on, uh, in an emergency status. So we drove literally, and as we were driving towards the hospital, somebody in front of me, riding a motorbike, was beeping, had kept beeping, and I was wondering, was he trying to, you know, outbeat me as I was driving? And later on, I found out he was trying to beep because he wanted to go ahead of me, and he was asking everybody else to move away. I had my, my hazards on. And I said, who was this guy? I don't even know, but he was by divine providence God provided him there to pave the way so we can go. And he went all the way. He was ahead of us, and he brought us all the way to the hospital. I, I wonder, how did he know we were going to that hospital? But that made us arrive in the hospital just in time. So when my mother-in-law was already you know, gasping for her last breath, and we were there for our the last hour that she was going to be there. So we prayed once again and she could not respond, but the, she was responding at least, uh, you know, with her motions. And then uh, we prayed to receive Christ and a teardrop fell. An hour later, she went home to be with the Lord, we trust. So uh, that's my mother-in-law right there. And then uh, the one in the far right is my son-in-law, that's Ian, the mother, married to my eldest daughter, so the one my eldest daughter is the one the second one from the right so that's debbie eunice is the fourth daughter that's in the farthest right and our youngest danielle i believe we brought her here before she plays the violin so that's danielle she's now 21 years old time has flown so that we were thankful that they've all made professions of faith trusted christ as savior And pray with us as we pray for them to see them continue in their walk with God. So here are our ministries. For some reason, my photos here have become topsy-turvy. So our our ministries have uh, been focused on evangelism. These are efforts to plant the seed of the gospel in other parts of the Philippines, to establish local churches. This is Foundation Baptist Church. We are actually using a rented facility Every Sunday morning We were renting an apartment Actually a duplex as Serving as our office base We used to live there <clears throat> And then later we found out It was wiser for us to move out When resources came in And maintain that facility For our office base Where we had our regular services Our, our um, Vesper services Our Wednesday prayer meetings Our cry practices Our counseling sessions, etc. <clears throat> but it can only fit about 45 to 50 people max Maximum but so we would rent another facility, which is the hotel. It's actually a function room of a hotel, the Astoria Plaza. And that's virtually the average attendance we have for Sunday mornings. And then we, we have a, here an outreach in Santa Cruz Laguna. Of course, as we establish local church, we bring people to Christ. Then one of the clearest evidence of their conversion is their outward confession of their inward, uh, outward confession of their inward conversion through believers' baptism. Okay, and then we seek to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So um, I've taught courses on apologetics, hermeneutics, um, biblical ethics. So here are some photos of those classes. The, the first one right there up on the right is uh, the, our apologetics class in Baguio City. And then the, one be, the photo behind that is our, our class in Singapore. The one on the further on the lower left is my class. We had sixteen pastors in India, and uh, the one on my right this is exact this is where we meet for Sunday evening. This is our rented facility where we hold class modules every so often. Now we have nine men who go through teaching rotation, and uh, they've been helpful with me in carrying on the work of the ministry, especially when I'm gone. But even while I'm there, Sunday they go through a teaching rotation for Sunday school, sometimes Wednesday night and Sunday evening. And we've been doing this for a number of years, maybe four years, five years now, and they would like to go deeper this time, so I'm planning to have another class, a hermeneutics class, to get our men to study the Bible directly from the text and interpret the scriptures and uh, let them understand what the text itself says and help them conclude the form of the theology based on the biblical text. And so that when they study the text, they find out and refer to the commentaries, oh, they're not alone in taking that position. There are others who take their stand with them. But at the same time, we tell them that when you study the text, then... You don't let the commentaries you don't let the Bible let the shed light on the Bible. You let the Bible shed light on the commentaries instead. So I said, so who would you rather believe, a Jewish fisherman or a Swiss theologian? from the 16th century. And also, of course, it's John the Beloved rather than John Calvin. I mean, these are great men whom God used, but John the Beloved, a fisherman as he was, was moved by the Holy Spirit just like Paul and the other writers of Scripture. So that's where our confidence is and we're trying to equip them for the work of the ministry so that they can teach the word more effectively. This is our family camp. That's not ours. It's a family camp in Malaysia by the, some of the Singaporeans where we taught a series of messages and biblical ethics. And then, of course, we uh, engage in earnestly contending for the faith, as Jude tells us. So this is some of the pastors who work with us in Baguio City. The photo behind there is some of the pastors uh, with us in Hong Kong. I serve as a regional director to the far east of our mission board, and sometimes I get a chance to visit their ministries. So some of the pastors there, sorry, the, the photo the in bag you covered that photo with us with um, fellow servants of the Lord in Hong Kong. We also have our annual family camp, which is usually held every Holy Week, okay? the week before Resurrection Sunday, and uh, just time for fellowship, time for fun. Okay, all right. Now that's not exactly how fast we were doing that, but uh, <clears throat> so it's just time to recreate and have fun. With the campers and uh, all right, let's move on there. Of course, time for feast feasting on the Word of God. So we have some panel discussions. Sometimes churches join us. Sometimes it's just our church. So this was an inter-church camp. The number of churches joined us also. And then, uh, of course, like I said, feasting on the Word of God. So it always helps to get out of the regular routine and just get out of the city and sit under the teaching of the Word of God for an extended period of time. That kind of overhauls their thinking and hopefully straightens things up. So this is our Bible conference. These are some photos of our previous conferences. Our theme was speaking the truth in love. It was held in Baguio City, which is four hours north of Manila. Um, Yep, still in Baguio City. Now, a number of pastors come over uh, from the Bundocks, and you know sometimes you wonder if you're just standing alone in the word of God and the truth and we're thankful that there are men out there they're not exactly in the limelight but they're faithful preaching and teaching the word of God and some of these pastors in the boondocks travel to go to the conference by motorcycle for 22 hours one way and then 22 hours back that's the farthest there are those who come 12 hours 8 hours amazing we are so encouraged by their Thirst, but enthusiasm of the things of God. I tell our delegates in the conference, listen, we're not trying to build a denomination, we're not trying to organize a group. We're just we just exist during the conference. After the conference, we don't exist. We're back to our local churches. Hopefully that the conference has been helpful in expounding the text of scripture so that the Spirit of God would have drawn the line between truth and error and then apply it to our local churches. So that's what we've been doing and by the grace of God, we've had 33 conferences already since its inception. That means, if, I might, if my math is correct, we started this conference when I was only 28 years old. So sometimes I wonder, where are the 28-year-olds nowadays? They're busy in their gadgets, etc. Uh, <clears throat> so this is another conference. Okay, <clears throat> now we have also our Tagalog New Testament translation. <clears throat> this was started way back in the late 80s. And then they asked me to serve as the regional director, or rather, sorry, the chairman of the sponsorship committee, which is the committee that oversees the entire project. But I had to leave that particular ministry sometime in 1994. And uh, so this is our translation team. We work with uh, local pastors who have a grasp of the Greek language, but at the same time with... uh, Bibles International, which is the translation arm of Baptist Mid-Missions. So um, we translate the Greek text, the Greek text of the King James, which is their textus receptus, directly to Tagalog. All of our Tagalog translations are based on the English, the Latin, or the Spanish. So this time it's coming directly from the Greek text, and we're thankful for all. That. That's That been finally, first edition was finally finished 1998 and then but there was a catalog of errors and then we revised it the second revision the second edition came out 2021 and then the third edition is just about to get out by the end of the year so please pray for our needs Pray for our outreach in Puerto Princesa. These are some of the pictures we were there just last. Uh, my wife and I visited there just last June. We thank the Lord for the brethren's efforts to reach out for the gospel in the province that have a po- and have a positive testimony there. Uh, Pastor Jason Malaco. The pastor there is going through some adjustment together with his two sons because his wife just passed away, went home to be with the Lord due to cancer late last year. So uh, that's the the ministry there. It's an eight-year-old ministry. <clears throat> so pray for that outreach in Puerto Princesa. This is an outreach that we have in Baguio City, the four-hour north, three-and-a-half to four hours north of Manila. <clears throat> Uh, this is Baguio City. It's a beautiful place. It's almost, when you get there, it's almost like getting out of the Philippines because the climate there is cool. So beautiful weather, especially for December and uh, January. So you come over to the Philippines, you may want to come to that part of the year. Yeah. We can take you there. But uh, we've had a contact with a man named Benny Balahaja. That's his photo there. He's the one seated right, right side of me. He, he is actually a developer and he 's uh, has a burden for his family, some of his business colleagues, and he has connected me to some of them, so we 're hoping that ultimately a church can be started there. Pray for our our outreach prospective outreach in Lake Cebu, south Cotabata that 's down south in Mindanao. this coming November our, we have planning to have a medical mission to feed about two hundred children. And an evangelistic meeting right there in Lake Cebu in South Cotabato with families and different areas involving a particular tribe, the Tiboli tribe, up down in in the mountains of Mindanao. So it's about a two-hour plane ride from Manila going there. And we've had some contacts with them pastors in the lowlands uh, who are connected with a group, but they are not They're concerned about the direction of the group, so they've now officially cut off ties from them and would like to align their position with us. We're raising about $6,000 for this need and uh, for lodging as well for our team of 10 and for food and for feeding program for 400 persons after the evangelistic meeting and then for medicines and the vitamins for the medical mission as well. Uh, Pray for... Yeah, this is uh, in in Ilocos Norte. Uh, so, early, one of the delegates of the conference, oh, sorry, this is the Bible translation, this was the dedication of the Bible translation. So, we have almost uh, distributed the Tagalog New Testament, we have distributed, well, almost distributed all of them, about 11,000 copies of the second edition. It's been well printed gold edge, leather-bound, etc., beautiful with all the notes included in it. But after l- looking at it, we still saw some typographical errors, not major errors, but typographical errors, and I figured it's hard to let that sit there without. when we know we can do something. So, so we are now uh, processing, in the process of printing, actually it's laying out the third edition so that it could be prepared for printing, and Lord willing, it will be it will start sometime in a month or two. Um, so, um, this a photo on the right, these are photos actually. Both photos are, are the photos of the dedication service for our second edition that was held in May 21, 2022. That was at the height of the pandemic during that time. Okay, so, uh <clears throat> We're having our 34th Fundamental Bible Conference this coming October, or rather November to December. Usually, hold it in October, but this time it's going to be November to December, two days. Uh, in Met, this time, it's going to be in Metro Manila again. We thank the Lord for how He has faithfully provided for this ministry, and uh, now we can start holding conferences back in Manila now that the restrictions of COVID have been loosened. Have loosened up, okay? So, uh, and then. This coming January, or last January, I was invited with one of our delegates in the conference to speak at their church anniversary at Ilocos Norte. That's about an eight, eight and a half hour drive to north of Manila. And that's almost closer to the tip of the northern part of the Philippines. So we were there last uh, January and um, there were 15 pastors there. So here's another photo of how many attended that anniversary. And there were about 15 pastors there. And they said, why are we, we should have something bigger than what we have right now. They said, let's invite more pastors and let's rent a bigger facility so that we can have another conference. And I said, well, that's a good idea. So they're now planning that up. So, uh, and plans are being prepared for January 2024 to hold a conference there. So, uh Please pray for us uh, that we're still raising some another four thousand dollars for this particular need, and then for our other personal needs, we have so far raised thirty-two percent of our IPM approved budget. Pray for me. This is I'm finishing my doctor of ministry program at Central Baptist Theological Seminary. I, my paper has to do with church discipline. And this has been a real challenge. It's almost like going through all the four years just to write this paper. But uh, by the grace of God, Lord willing, we shall finish. And I pray for my wife, uh, her medical condition. She, has, uh, she needs to go through more tests, laboratory works, because she has been going through some irregular heart rate beats, uh, ranging from lowest, lowest 30, all the way to about 100 plus. So that's a concern, and uh, the doctor says it's not a physiological problem; it is a electrical problem. Okay, so that's why it's hard to diagnose. It's an electrical problem. So uh, sometimes I joke, or maybe it's because you see me every morning that your heart starts throbbing again. So, uh, <laughs> but but pray, pray, pray for her. Uh, the doctors are monitoring her condition, making sure as much as possible that she will not have to resort to a pacemaker. Okay of course we 're thankful that uh, the Lord has kind of sustained me also two years ago. I know you 've been praying for us. We went through a heart surgery and angioplasty. They placed four stents on me. I think one brother here went through the same that same year. so uh, so we 're thankful for your prayers as well. I feel like i 'm back in shape, you know, even though I feel older as well, but uh, nonetheless. We're, we're facing all of those challenges. So please pray for us. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for all men have not faith. And we have had to face some of these unreasonable and wicked men, some of them professing Christians. Okay? We've had challenges from Roman Catholics, uh, challenges from Muslims, but the greatest and fiercest battles we've had to face are those who profess to be within the Christian household of faith, sadly. But like Paul said, I you know, he said that some people some preach Christ out of envy, some out of strife. But if Christ is preached, we rejoice. So of course we're thankful for your prayers for us, we're thankful for your partnership with us. So uh, I will be leaving some prayer cards, Pastor. Uh, I don't know where, but I have some prayer cards here so that uh, you can put us in your refrigerator, place us in your Bible, so that every time we, you see that, hopefully you'll, you'll be praying for us. Just make sure when you send any help that uh, please designate it to Livioco support. Okay, so that's my presentation. I hope I didn't get much of the time, but if there is some time, I'm willing to entertain some questions.